good evening. It is 5 p.m. and I'm CFRC's broadcast journalist, Christina Laurie. You're listening to Kingston Currents here on CFRC 101.9 FM, based in Kingston, Ontario. CFRC's news programming is brought to you by the Community Radio Fund of Canada under the Local Journalism Initiative, Queen's University Career Services, What Will I Wear at 732 Princess Street, and The Screening Room at ScreeningRoomKingston.com. In the next half hour, we'll cover the new community standards bylaw passed by Kingston City Council last week, an update on the closure of Queen's Bader College campus with Vice Provost Evans, the walkout held by Queen's students last week in support of Palestine, as well as updates from the Kingston Frontenac Public Library, the City of Kingston, and more. At their meeting earlier this week, Council approved of the new community standards bylaw. The new Community Standards Bylaw covers a variety of behaviors relating to use of public spaces, including odors, idling, feeding wildlife, and loitering. The controversial bylaw brought many community members out to say their piece before Council on Tuesday. Many delegations expressed their concerns that the bylaw would have a disproportionate impact on already marginalized populations, especially those who use substances, struggle with mental health issues, and houseless people. Excuse me if it sounds rude, but this policy you are considering about is something like kicking someone when they're already down. You don't want people in the bushes, you don't want people in tents and sleeping cabins, and you don't want people on the streets downtown. Well, where do you want the people? Your job is to look after every citizen in Kingston. Where will these citizens go? You need to know in the long run that what we do to others, we end up doing to ourselves. One community member even expressed that they have already noticed a shift since the bylaw was brought up at the Administrative Policies Committee meeting at the beginning of the month. Um, This bylaw states that it's not going to be implemented until May 2024. In speaking to people who, some of whom have been permitted to stay on the streets of downtown, this bylaw is already being implemented. You might have noticed walking down the streets, the streets have been swept clean of people and people have been told to leave. So, you know, I have a question about what does that say about the due process that's even indicated in the bylaw itself. I genuinely have a question about that. After sitting and speaking with folks, I learned that the bylaw officers have been telling people that a new law has been passed by city council. You are no longer allowed to sit on the sidewalk because customers are afraid of you, you are threatening, and you have to leave now. These folks are some of the kindest, friendliest, and most generous people I have ever met in Kingston. They endure much verbal abuse from customers on a daily basis, and yet they keep a smile on their face and they greet every passerby saying, how are you, I hope you're well, have a nice day, even if that person yells obscenities at them. There are a number of people that I haven't seen in a few weeks, and I don't know when or if I will ever see them again because they've been bullied out of downtown by bylaw officers. I often chat with people on the street, doesn't matter if they're sitting panhandling or chatting with friends, doesn't matter their socioeconomic status. Those of us who live downtown, who work downtown and shop downtown, we check in with each other. And I find it very disturbing that because of this bylaw, there are members of my community that I may never see again. I may never encounter them downtown. Approved. This bylaw is already varying wildly in how it's enforced based on people's socioeconomic class. I do wonder, will tourists in downtown Kingston be told to move along if they're sitting enjoying a coffee, a croissant? Will myself and my friends, when we stop to chat on street corners, be asked by bylaw officers to move along because we're loitering on the sidewalk? Maybe we will, but maybe we won't because we have nicer clothes and we have a safe place to sleep at night. Other community members stepped forward in support of the bylaw. 
claiming it is a necessary step in addressing the increasing feelings of unsafety, especially in the downtown core. Um, you can see that there's a lot of concern for staff walking home, um, looking up, buddying up, um, encountering um, everyday situations um, over and over and over again that are uh, making it really difficult to do their job. Um, definitely, you know, they're interacting with uh, situations with drugs and drug paraphernalia, as was mentioned earlier. Um, you know, they're seeing situations where people are um, screaming, yelling, rolling out into the street, into traffic, and again, just not being able to really um, handle it with, you know, being a lot of the time maybe their first job ever. Um, petty theft for sure, um, you know, lots of feedback from visitors saying Kingston's an unsafe destination, um, and that it, uh, you know, reflecting poorly on our destination. After over three and a half hours of discussion and six amendments, the bylaw was approved with a vote of 11 to 2, with Councillors Osanic and Tozo being opposed. Councillor Osanic expressed her concern with the bylaw and the large community response it has elicited. This has been overwhelming. The number of emails that we've received, um, you know, is one of the biggest issues, I would say, in the last 16 years. It's up there at the top. Um, we've already, you know, done our, our motion to do away with the encampment. Um, the sleeping cabins, um, I read the article about how we're called a mean city, and all of this is weighing on on me a lot. And I don't want to cry. I don't want to cry, but we have to be nice. And I don't think we're showing, we're setting a good example right now. I think we're, okay, we've done the encampment. We've done the sleeping cabins. You know, do I have regrets? Maybe, I don't know. But this then is way too much with all of this. Counselors acknowledge that much of the impact of the bylaw depends on how bylaw officers choose to enforce it. According to the Director of Licensing and Enforcement, Curtis Smith, officers will be undergoing training and have time to prepare before the bylaw comes into effect. Uh, we are looking at any number of training venues right now, including a nonviolent crisis intervention. We're looking at a number of mental health first aid courses that our people could take. There's a number of other initiatives from other municipalities, so we put out the feelers on that. We're, we're working very hard on that to make sure that we are preparing our officers potentially for dealing with this bylaw. Um, and I, I think we, we've got at least enough time you know, with the potential delay in the implementation of this until May 2024 that we can make that happen. One of the amendments included the addition of a health equity impact assessment, which will be conducted by a third party and used to evaluate the first year of the bylaw. The community standards bylaw is set to come into effect May 1st, 2024. Um, I know this is a contentious report and bylaw. However, taking the measures that are taken, uh, be put in place and those are maybe coming and the fact that we do have to be responsible to our whole population, including the marginalized, but also those who live in Kingston, elsewhere. There are situations that um, we do have to look at, uh, which may not go off well with the public, but that's why we're here to make decisions. I believe that public space needs to be open and safe to all, but then that does include my in-house constituents. Um, but based on what I've heard repeatedly, um, there are many of my constituents, specifically from the northern part of Kingstown, where people are much lower on the socioeconomic scale, that this is not the case. I cannot continue to have meetings with my constituents um, as they detail traumatic experiences that have happened to them 
and in good conscience say that I did not attempt to address their safety concerns. We have to start somewhere, and this is a starting point. I'm not saying it's a perfect one, and that's been very evident with the conversation that we've had with our presenters tonight, and I know further uh, discussion with Council, but it's a starting point. We need to uh, go from there. Thanks. In a piece of campus news, after announcing the closure of the Bader College campus for the foreseeable future, due to structural issues, CFRC sat down with Vice Provost Evans to discuss the future of the castle. Here's what he had to say. Well, to get started, just to get right into it, um, I was wondering how long these structural issues um, that we're having at the castle have been an issue or been on the radar for Queens. So um, the the first we knew of the 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 main structural issue that has resulted in us um, moving out of the castle was the third of November. So um, you know, uh, now it's a, you know, approaching three weeks ago, but um, that was the first we knew about it. I was wondering if you could provide any details regarding uh, what exactly the structural issues are at the castle. Yeah, sure. Um, well, first of all, the first thing to say is that, you know, this is really a castle. <laughs> so <laughs> so it, it's a kind of 600-year-old building. Um, and, and so, you know, they they need special treatment, obviously. The, the main issue that we are concerned about at the moment is that it was reported to us that the 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 towers of the gatehouse. Um, so they, the castle, like you'd expect, like a traditional castle has a drawbridge uh, and each side of the drawbridge is, is a, a tower that is that forms the gatehouse to the, to the castle. And we were told on, in early November that there was part of the, that gatehouse uh, which was unsafe. And it could, could result in a, a collapse. It hasn't done that, but it could do that. And so that's that same day we we basically sealed we we sealed off and cordoned off um, the whole area of the castle, the whole side of the castle where the gatehouse is. I was wondering if there were any estimates regarding the timeline once construction. I believe construction is able to begin in spring of 2024. Is that correct? What we have to do first is is make it safe and stop it getting any worse. Uh, and we we've um, approved the start of that work. Um, but it needs to be um, that our plans need to be approved by um, uh, English Heritage, uh, which is kind of the body that oversees these sorts of buildings in the UK. So they, they need to, first of all, say that we're allowed to do what we're planning to do. Um, as soon as that authority has been obtained, then we've, we've approved from our end, you know, the contract that will be needed to go about actually um, holding basically holding the building up and making it safe. That's the first thing. Only once we've done that, and that that process will probably take about eight weeks. Only once that's finished, will the contractors be able to get up close enough to the building to actually find out what actually needs to be done to permanently fix it. Um, and at this point in time, we don't know. Um, what that is because they can't actually get right up to the wall because it's a great big castle wall right so so they they need to get the scaffolding and things up before they can actually inspect it so the answer to your question is that we can start the kind of um the work to make it safe more or less immediately once we've got approval from english heritage 
only once that's done, that will take about eight weeks. So that will probably take us to sometime in February or something. Only then will we get a report that enables us to know what the actual repair work is and how long that will take. Absolutely. And I'm assuming since things are kind of up in the air right now, if you'd like to, you can speak to it. But I'm assuming we don't really have an idea of what the costs of this project are going to be at all. We don't have a clear idea, Christine. I mean, we have some very rough estimates, which I'm not sure are desperately helpful at this point. It, mm-hmm. You know, they're, they're, But they run into millions of pounds, right? I mean, we're talking about a substantial building that's, as I said, 600 years old. It's got traditional materials that we'd have to replicate. It's it's expensive. Absolutely. And uh, getting a bit into where we are now with students who are at the Bader College, are students continuing with classes online for the rest of the semester? Um, I was wondering if you could speak a bit to um, how they're going to move forward with minimum disruptions. Yeah. So as soon as we knew there was this problem, um, then we we decided we'd stop using the castle completely. The castle is where the teaching space is, in where the majority of the teaching spaces are. So we took the decision, as you've just said, to, to move the teaching online, except for the teaching that's done in laboratories. So there's a laboratory building which is separate from the castle, and that's continued. And, and any teaching that was done outside, there's a certain amount of experiential teaching that is done outside the building. So those continued as normal. The rest of the classes went online. That is happening. That's been happening since um, the early November. Um, we've only got about 10 days of teaching left. So by the end of next week, teaching will be finished. Um, and then they'll proceed with their exams. will have to be conducted online. Um, and then they will, you know, they, they book their flights to return for Christmas Um and do whatever it is each of the students was doing over Christmas time, right? So that's kind of none of my business. Um, and but then they'll be returning to Kingston for the winter semester, uh, and we've been working on providing their accommodation and providing their uh, updating their programs for the winter semester. Okay, yeah. So we're accommodations affected. I'm not sure if students are on site at the castle or if they have a different residence. Uh, they they live in a different building, so they live okay. in a building called Bader Hall, which is just kind of up the hill from the castle, but it's a completely separate building, and that wasn't affected. Okay, sounds good. Um, and I guess while students are impacted by this, um, and they'll have sort of their own individualized plans that they can sort out, I was wondering what resources are available to them to ensure that they can continue their studies? Well, when, once they're here in, in the winter semester, mm-hmm. then they'll have all the resources of any Queen student, and they'll be looked after in the same way as everybody else is. The resources that we made available to them over this period, um, I went out there myself just after we heard this news. I was there only a few days after we heard the news. Um, We sent a three-person student affairs team from Queen's over there the following week, and the deputy provost uh, overlapped with them and is returning tomorrow. So we've had a presence on site to support the students um, more or less continuously for about about three weeks. Um, the student affairs team has done a, a sterling job um, sorting out the programs and the residential accommodation for students next semester. Um, and that's all been um, going on. We've agreed that we'll make sure that they're not financially um, you know, disadvantaged in any way. So we'll be making uh, you know, reasonable um, 
uh, reimbursements of uh, of any flights that needed to be changed. We've we've re refunded half the accommodation costs, um, we've, and we've given them a disruption payment. So you know we've gone quite a long way, I think, to make trying to make sure that the students are looked after. Absolutely. Um, and I was wondering if you could also speak to how this will impact the staff at the Bayer location. We don't know the answer to that yet, Christina. Our focus for the per- these first few weeks has been making sure that the students are looked after and that their experience is as smooth as possible. We do know that we're unlikely to have students at the at Beta College and the castle for the remainder of this year and for the the following academic year. So the so up until the end of the academic year 24-25, we won't have any students there, which will obviously be a major impact on the the kind of revenue that goes into the castle. Um, but we haven't made any decisions about the future of the staff yet. Once again, that was Vice Provost Evans on the future of the Queen's Bader College campus. Last Thursday afternoon, members of the Queen's community participated in a walkout in support of Palestine. The walkout was organized by Solidarity for Palestinian Human Rights, SPHR, an advocacy group made up of Queen's students, who posted about the event on their Instagram to spread the word. In their posts, they also included specific demands. The demands mostly directed towards the university were, quote, one, an immediate end of Israel's siege on Gaza and Canadian funding for Israel, two, the right for students, faculty, and staff to be protected against any forms of prejudice or discrimination nation, including anti-Palestinian racism, anti-Arab racism, Islamophobia, and anti-Semitism. Three, cut ties from all corporations and institutions complicit in genocide, settler colonialism, apartheid, or ethnic cleansing against Palestinians. Four, divest from companies profiting from Israeli apartheid, noting that Queen's University has divested in the 1980s from the South African apartheid, end quote. Students, faculty, and community members met at Ontario Hall, with a crowd of approximately 250 people gathering for speeches and participating in chants. The protesters then marched throughout campus, with more passers-by joining in as they marched. This protest also follows the SPHR address at the AMS Assembly, at which they claim they were met with disrespect. They released a statement regarding the incidents at the AMS Assembly, describing how their address was quote, targeted and derailed, end quote. They stated that this included audible laughter during their presentation, and another student referring to the students standing with SPHR as terrorists. While there is yet to be a response, SPHR awaits accountability from the university and its organizations. In a message from the Kingston Frontenac Public Library, KFPL promotes menstrual equity with free period products. Recognizing menstrual products are a necessity and not a luxury, KFPL aims to contribute to menstrual equity by ensuring free pads and tampons are easily accessible to everyone. Introducing free menstrual products in all public washrooms across KFPL branches underscores a commitment to inclusivity, respect, and accessibility for library visitors. Public libraries are strategically positioned to address this need, serving diverse populations in rural and urban areas, 
including individuals facing financial challenges. According to a 2022 Planned Canada study, one in five of those who menstruate acknowledge that they have struggled to afford products for themselves or dependents and have been forced to ration products because they could not afford more. Kristen LeMay, manager, Branches and Collections, states, quote, our commitment to menstrual equity is reflected in our efforts to enhance accessibility for everyone. We've prioritized making menstrual products readily available in all washrooms, recognizing the diverse needs of our community. Placing these products in men's washrooms is a deliberate choice, ensuring anyone can easily access them for personal use or to support partners, family members, and friends. This project benefits everyone in our communities. It's about fostering an inclusive environment where everyone feels supported and no one faces barriers to essential resources, end quote. On December 6th, KFPL will present a virtual session, How to Talk to Kids About Periods, in collaboration with The Period Purse, a Toronto-based charity dedicated to achieving menstrual equity. The virtual presentation will be conducted in real time using Google Meets starting at 6.30pm. Registration is required and can be completed at calendar.kfpl.ca. For more information about The Period Purse, you can visit theperiodpurse.com. Utilities Kingston Home Heating Week is November 27th to December 1st. Join Utilities Kingston during Home Heating Week on November 27th to December 1st. Get expert tips, tricks, and ideas to keep your home comfortable and energy efficient during the colder months, while managing your heating costs all winter long. Plus, you can enter a draw for a Google Nest Smart Thermostat. Over 60% of your annual energy costs go towards heating your home, so it's worth heating it as efficiently as possible. Caro Casista, Conservation Coordinator for Utilities Kingston states, quote, by supporting our customers and making their homes more energy efficient and better managing their utility bills, we're working together to take climate action and reduce our community's carbon footprint, end quote. During Home Heating Week, Utilities Kingston customers are invited to complete an online home heating quiz and be entered into a draw to win a programmable Google Nest smart thermostat. The contest is open from November 27th to December 8th. Contest rules and information and the online home heating quiz will be available at utilitieskingston.com starting on November 27th. You can follow Utilities Kingston on X at Utilities Kingston and Facebook at Utilities Kingston to get the daily home heating tip from November 27th to December 1st. If you'd like to speak one-on-one -on -one with an energy advisor, Utilities Kingston's conservation expert is holding a home heating week office hours on November 29th from 5pm to 6pm. You can participate in person at 85 Lappins Lane to get practical tips and advice for heating your home this winter. Alternatively, call 613-546-1181 and dial extension 2765 to speak to your Utilities Kingston energy expert. Consider the following tips to help you manage your utility bill. Air leaks account for the largest amount of heat loss from your home. Seal leaks around tight fixtures, windows, exterior doors, attic hatches, pipe, and wire entrances, wood-burning fireplaces, electrical outlets, and ceiling fans. Avoid having your thermostat in a room with a fireplace. Keep warm air registers, baseboard heaters, and radiators clean and unblocked. Insulate heating ducts that travel through unheated areas of your home to prevent heat loss. Set the furnace fan switch on automatic instead of on or continuous. Clean or replace the furnace filter frequently to keep your furnace operating efficiently. When buying a new furnace, look for the most energy efficient model you can find. Have a licensed HVAC professional service. Have a licensed HVAC professional service your furnace yearly to ensure it is operating at maximum efficiency. In the winter, set the thermostat to 20 degrees Celsius when you are home and 18 degrees Celsius overnight and when away. You can visit utilitieskingston.com for the following information. Utilities Kingston Smart Thermostat Rebate Program, Energy Saving Rebates and Incentives, Conservation Tips, Other Ways to Manage Your Utility Bill, and Contest Rules for the Google Nest Smart Thermostat Draw. For more information, you can call 613-546-1181 and ask a customer service representative to speak with conservation, or email conservation at utilitieskingston.com. 
In a message from the City of Kingston, household hazardous waste facilities will close for the season. The last drop-off days for the year at the household hazardous waste facility at the Kingston Area Recycling Center, 196 Lappins Lane, will be Saturday, November 25th and Thursday, November 30th. Before heading out to the waste facility, check your household for hazardous items like pesticides, batteries, solvents, pool chemicals, removers or strippers, paint, paint thinners, oven cleaners, bleach, or antifreeze. See a full list at cityofkingston.ca slash hhw. Also be sure to bring proof of residency. The city reports on households that visit the facility from Kingston as well as from adjacent municipalities. Proof of residency is required upon delivery of household hazardous waste. Never put hazardous waste in the garbage or down the drain. Look for warning labels and instructions on products and handle any potentially hazardous materials with care. Do not mix hazardous materials and when possible bring items in their original containers. Once again for more information visit cityofkingston.ca slash hhw. Kingston Transit launches new online pass renewal portal. Just last week, Kingston Transit launched a new online pass renewal portal that allows riders to renew most Kingston Transit reloadable bus passes online in real time. Riders can log into mykingstontransit.ca, upload the number associated with their existing Kingston Transit bus pass, personal details, and credit card information to the portal. Riders can renew monthly or weekly passes or add funds to multi-ride cards. As part of the new portal, riders will also be able to add more than one card to the portal. This allows a parent or guardian to add funds to a youth or senior card. Riders will also have the option to enable an auto-renewal feature to ensure their bus passes are up to date. Questions about the new pass renewal portal or anything else related to Kingston Transit can be sent to contact us at cityofkingston.ca or by calling 613-546-0000. That is all things current in Kingston for this week. Thank you for listening to CFRC's local news programming brought to you by the generous support of the Community Radio Fund of Canada under the Local Journalism Initiative, Queen's University Career Services, What Will I Wear at 732 Princess Street, and the Screening Room at screeningroomkingston.com. To hear more from CFRC's news team, be sure to tune in tomorrow at 5pm for Today in YGK or head to our podcast network at podcast.cfrc.ca. Be sure to stay tuned for more CFRC programming coming up next. What'll I Wear offers the best in vintage, funky, one-of-a-kind treasures, clothing, accessories, and a fabulous selection of jewels, vintage and new. Find the cutest purse, the most dashing of hats, and sunglasses. Everything to complete your individual look. What'll I Wear has it all. They can dress you from top to bottom. Find your new fashion fave at What'll I Wear at 732 Princess Street in Kingston. Visit their new location and follow them on Facebook to keep up to date with what's in store at What'll I Wear.